Hello there and a very warm welcome to episode 33 of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shalat and I'm delighted to say that I've got joining me today Alex Barker. How are you Alex? I'm doing really good. I've been a 6 out of 6. Mm, I thought so. I thought so too. Ben and uh, yeah, I should say we also got Ben Griffiths joining us. Uh, so let's hear from Ben uh, if he has any thoughts on anything really. I have 6 thoughts huh? and only one of them should be spoken. Ah, I see. I see. The, the interesting strategies we get to see on the Frantic Football podcast of coping after your team has suffered a heavy defeat. We had earlier Rafael, um, who was let's say, he was bullied I, off the pod for two weeks. Yeah, basically. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was bullied into the, into the shadow realm. We have Ben here who's embracing it more. So let's see if Ben comes back uh, anytime in the next two weeks. But until then, we have a whole episode to get through. And, and we've got lots of stuff as ever on a Monday. Uh, we've got a bunch of um, continental competitions, knockouts at that uh, to to discuss. We've got a couple of trophies here and there, uh, a couple of almost uh, champions uh, to talk about. We've got some regular seasons ending. So we will talk about, obviously, the, the last match days in a couple of places. Uh, and, and then, of course, we'll we'll also have our regular roundups of various leagues and title races and relegation battles and all that. And we, of course, finally have um, to talk about whatever happened at Tottenham um, in the last little more than 24 hours. So, yep, another busy episode, as I said. Uh, then let's get started. Alright, the first thing I want to mention uh, is that as we're recording this, we've got the UEFA Youth League final going on uh, and it's two teams who absolutely no one would have predicted to be in this match. It's AZ against Hajduk Split. Uh, these are both teams who have qualified through the domestic champions path for this final. Uh, of course, the format of the Europe, uh, Youth League is such that you basically mirror all the groups of the Champions League uh, in the regular group stage. But then if for the knockouts, you also have some uh, domestic champions coming in. So, of course, the teams that qualify in the regular group stage don't qualify by their merit, but rather by the senior team's merit. But these teams do qualify by merit. Usually, you see the teams from the regular group stage uh, advancing because, of course, there are all these big clubs like you know Real Madrid, Manchester City, uh, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, blah, 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 all of them. But these two, Azad and Hajduk, uh did they have i mean of course they've they've shocked some big big names uh, through these knockouts they've knocked out uh, between themselves the likes of real madrid barcelona uh, borussia dortmund sporting so they've they've done amazing and both of them have reached not just their first ever final but also they're the first ever uh, representatives of their country in the uefa youth league final so it's a pretty big game i think it's 1-0 uh, at the moment uh, but we will we'll check back 1-0 to azad i should say at the moment but uh, we'll check back at the end uh when the game will be done so that's one thing to keep in mind let's talk about some of the other knockouts then uh, we had the UEFA Women's Champions League semi-finals uh on Saturday Barcelona came away with a 1-0 lead uh, against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge a lovely goal from Caroline Graham Hansen 
separating those two sides. And then on Sunday, we had a great game in Germany where Wolfsburg went 2-0 up uh, against Arsenal. But then uh, Arsenal, mind you, a very, very injury-hit Arsenal side, missing at least five key starters, uh, came back from 2-0 down to make it 2-2 uh, at Wolfsburg. So both ties really hanging in the balance. Of course, Barcelona with an advantage in theirs and Arsenal-Wolfsburg all to play for for the second leg. So two great games there. We also had knockouts in Africa. Uh, in fact, knockouts starting. We had the GAF Champions League quarterfinals uh, kicking off. And once again, pretty a couple of close ties, a couple of um, sort of big leads. Certainly, uh, Mamelodi Sundowns getting a 4-1 lead away at CR Belui's dad is probably one you'd expect them to comfortably uh, progress. And we also had in, in the biggest uh, matchup, Al-Ali take a 2-0 lead against Raja Casablanca. So those were the two big results. And then the other two were quite close. We had Jiskabi uh, Lee uh, lose 1-0 at home to Esperance. And then we had Simba win 1-0 against defending champions, be that Casablanca. If, that, if they pull that off, that would be quite an upset. Uh, and in the first one, Kabili are in the relegation zone in the Algerian League, uh, but in the knockouts in the Champions League. So an interesting season for them uh, over there. That's the CAF Champions League knockouts. Of course, again, the second legs to be played ahead. So we'll keep an eye out on who goes through there. We also had the CAF uh, Confederation Cup knockouts all on Sunday. And so some interesting results here as well. We had Young Africans take a 2-0 lead at Reverse United FC. No goals between uh, US Monastir and Asek Mimosas. Uh, USM Alger taking a 2-0 lead against the Moroccan re- league leaders Asfar. That's a good result for them. And in Egypt, Pyramids FC scored a stoppage time penalty equalizer against uh, Maruma Galans of uh, South Africa. So uh, pretty close uh, ties here as well. And again, second legs to come. So we, we'll check back then. Uh, let's move on to another knockout match quickly in Australia uh, with the Women's A-League. The sort of the second semi-final, or certainly the second qualifier for the final. We had uh, Premier Sydney FC against defending champions Melbourne Victory. Close game. I'd say Sydney did look the better side for the most part. Couldn't get that all-important goal, of course, but right in stoppage time. Uh, goalkeeping error uh, from victory keeper Casey Dumont allowed uh, Sydney to go through, uh, get, get the goal, go 1-0 up and go through to the final. There they will face Western United. So we'll check back there. And also quickly, let's talk about the men's A-League because we had the penultimate round of fixtures um, take place there of the regular group stage. And the top six seems fairly set. Of course, Melbourne City are the premiers, they're the league leaders. But the, the other side, of course, there's six teams qualifying for finals. So the top two go straight through to the semis. And so the second side, is it's very much up in the air right now. Second at the moment is Adelaide United, who played an incredible 4-4 draw away at Perth Glory with three goals in stoppage time and the results being always possible. Uh, and then behind them, we've got the Central Coast Mariners and Western Sydney Wanderers FC. Both on 41 points, so just a point behind them. So all And the best part is, the, all, all the top four are playing each other on the final match day. Uh, Western Sydney are against Melbourne City, and Adelaide and Central Coast Miners are in a straight shootout, basically, for the second spot. Of course, as I said, Adelaide currently holding it. Uh, behind them, Sydney uh, FC in fifth, 
uh, won uh, today against Brisbane Roar, so they're through. Uh, and Wellington Phoenix in sixth are not guaranteed to be in. They're on 32 points with three sides on 29 below them. So, of course, they only need that one point and they have the best goal difference out there as well. So, to, uh, uh, approaching the final match day, it looks like we have the six uh, finalists uh, in the A-League men's fairly set. Uh, but again, we'll, we'll check back there. Let's move and, on. Well, for those keeping yes, track at home, uh, that's our first six that we've heard in the podcast. So hmm, Alex yes. is probably going to give you a couple more sixes. Uh, I've been writing them down. Yeah. <laughs> you got that. So if you want to play, play along at home, keep track of how many more uh, the number six comes up and today. <laughs> see what happens more. More sixes or more Tottenham managers in the 22-23 season? <laughs> more Tottenham managers. Hey, there's how many games left? I think there's eight. So that could be 16 managers. I think yeah. I think there's, wait, there's eight Easily. Games. Do yeah, we yeah, count the assistant to over... the assistant to the assistant to the assistant? <laughs> yeah, the, so interim, that's the Dwayne interim, Schrute interim, method. Interim yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the interim to the interim manager. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Anyway, let's go on to let's go to Italy. At the top, uh, of course, we had Napoli score a late winner against Juventus after two Juventus uh, goals were ruled out. Uh, they're eleven points clear at the top, and they could win the title next weekend. Of course, they're first in about 30 odd years. That'll be a huge day. And already celebrations have almost already started, really. But down at the bottom, it's quite interesting in Serie A. Uh, we've got Hellas Verona. Who, of course, we spoke about Cremonese last week, sort of trying to pull off a great escape. We'll see how far they can go. But we've got Hellas Verona as well, who, who are only one point from safety now. Uh, and the team above them are Spezia, who are in in terrible form. But the but then the team in sixteenth, which is, which is Lecce, are only two points above uh, Hellas Verona, and their their form is hopeless. They they've lost seven of their last eight games, and the only outlier was a draw. So th- th- that's a pretty interesting relegation battle to keep an eye on. Um, and Lecce could well get sucked back in. I thought the start of the season was pretty decent. Of course, they were only promoted last season from Serie B, um, but but it's, it's all gone sour now, so that's something to keep an eye out on. I'll tell you where we do have a title. We do have a title one in Serbia. Krvena Zvezda already sealing uh, the Super League. I think just one round into the championship group, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the, they've been utterly dominant once again. I think... Um, if I remember correctly, a tweet from the sweeper, uh, of course, another weird podcast on football around Europe, um, said that they are the only unbeaten top flight side in Europe. Of course, that's domestically, uh, because they've played 31 games, 127 drawn for lost none. So uh, they, uh, as I said, have sealed the title already 20 points above the team in second. Um, and th- that continues their domination in Serbia. I think they've won the last uh, three or four titles uh, over there. Oh, it's the last five, sorry. So yeah, they, they are of course having a great time once again and they'll be through to the Champions League qualifiers uh, with that. Let's go on and talk about the Belgian Pro League next because we had the the final day of the regular season and we spoke about it on Friday. There was a lot to play for and well, it, it it was quite 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 frantic, quite mad really. Um, let's start by talking about the top four. So the the I, there was actually a pretty significant result in the title race as well, which we'll come back to. 
but in terms of what was up for grabs on this day was fourth spot between Club Brugge, Ghent, who were then occupying it, and Standard Liège, who was who needed a good result in their other two games. So they were certainly the least favorite to get it. And what we saw was Club Brugge absolutely thrash Eupen seven nil. Ghent, it didn't matter to them if they beat uh, already le- relegated Ustende, they would go through. But they didn't. They lost one two at home to Ustende in a match where. I'd say Ustende performed better than them as well. So it's really surprising their performance. And it, it rather derails what was a very good season for them overall. And it would have been quite something if they made the top four and for the first time kept Club Brugge out of the championship playoffs uh, since this format has been introduced. But they couldn't pull that off. And standard, it, it, the, 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 because Club won, it didn't matter what they did, but they lost to Leuven anyway. So that's what happened there. Then the other thing up for grabs was 8th place, the final spot in the European playoff group. And again, it was uh, pretty, pretty chaotic. So, Shalawa uh, were occupying it going into the weekend, but they were facing the league leaders, Genk, and they could only draw. So, that opened the floor up for all, all the sides below them. Anderlecht were among them. They lost 2-3 to Mechelen. And even if they'd won, it wouldn't have been good enough because... Cercle Bruges, who had a point over them going into the weekend, uh, won a dramatic game against Zulte Varagam. And speaking of Zulte, they were involved in the the uh, well the relegation battle where they were one point behind Eupen, had the better goal difference, so simply needed a better result than Eupen to stay up. Of course, Eupen beaten 7-0 by Club Brugge, as I said. And Zulte conceded twice early on to Cercle Bruges, uh, two down in eight minutes, but then for, uh, Cercle won a penalty in first half stoppage time. That didn't go in, so it, was, it remained 2-0. Zulta then fought back in the second half, scored in the 59th and 68th minute to make it 2-2, and mind you, Open were absolutely thrashed. So as things stood, they were going through, but then in the 83rd minute, Thibaut Sommer scored for Cercle to of course take them into it and the European playoff group, and also to relegate Zulta. So they are down, and the other two who were gone before this match day as well uh, were Ustende and Serang. So that's that for the Pro League's regular match day. Those three teams are relegated. Uh, we have Ghent, Standard Liège, Vestelo, and Cercle Bruges in the European playoffs. And then we've got Genk, Union, uh, Saint-Gervais, Royal Antwerp, and Club Brugge in the Championship playoff group. So, of course, that's all going to kick off uh, from the next weekend. And as I said, there's been some development on the title race front as well. So let's talk about that now. And we've got Alex who wants who has something to say about the top two in particular. Yeah, I was keeping an eye on them. <clears throat> Union Saint-Gilles is always a handful to say in Genk. And then early, early in the weekend, USG, they played Kortai, uh, Kortai and they won 4-2. They kind of put the ball in Genk's court because that took him at the top of the table. It was, it was a simultaneous kickoff, wasn't it? I thought I think they played earlier actually. I believe no, I think it was. I, I, I let me quickly check that. But I think there I was an earlier look. game. It was Royal Antwerp who were playing earlier. Yeah. Oh, oh it was. Oh, my, my mistake. My mistake. I thought they played earlier. I couldn't find them on football before the weekend. But <laughs> either way, well, you yeah. It's basically whoever won will go top of the table going into the championship playoff round, um, which uh, Neil's just kind of outlined. And he, I just want to talk to him, talk about briefly as well because, well. Genk, they ended up drawing 2-2. Two, two. 
Uh, two goals were assisted by Pansil, Joseph Pansil, Matres, all the wingers who've been brilliant this season. And I think they're two of the key reasons why Genk are currently top because of their draw and out even on points with USG, but they're still ahead on goal difference. Uh, also worth saying as well, Samata uh, scored against Shalawa and he was the player brought in to replace Onuachi who went to um, Southampton in January. He's been very good since uh, that move, actually, Samata. He's filled that role well. And again, scoring at the weekend. And um, USG, I said they won 4-2. Uh, interesting player I need to look at more. I've looked quite a lot into USG this season, but I think someone with two assists, uh, two goals, sorry, was um, Kasper Terho, Finland right uh, right wing back, 19-year-old. You don't really actually get that many young players at USG. It's kind of middle-aged players. So maybe that's someone we'll have to come back to on the podcast. Maybe the doc when he came on spoke about him. Um but yeah, they're both even on points in this championship round, 38 points. I always forget how the Belgian title works still, but I believe, Neil, I, don't correct me unless I'm wrong. Now, the teams in this championship round will play each other and they play each other's, each other twice, like a Champions League group. Oh, man, and yeah. yeah, and then, but their points from the league table are still intact, right? No, no, they're, they're halved. They're halved, but right? I see what I mean. It's just rubbish. Anyway, well done to USG and Genk. Euro, uh, what's what's your name on, on Twitter? <laughs> oh, Euro, Euro smart you to, guy. You have to be Euro PhD to bloody understand the Belgian title <laughs> group thing, working yeah. it out. It's absolute rubbish. Northern but, Europe really loves their uh, yeah, wait, 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 wait till right? you hear about the Moldovan Super Liga format. Let's just all agree no, that you. it would be an absolute travesty if Club Brugge come oh, out man. and win this. Like, be... you, well, they last season. They did, yeah, exactly. They did that last season. And I'm right. sort of scared they might do it again. I mean, they have, they've, they've been no good, to be honest, this season. Yeah, they don't, just, they don't deserve to be in this uh, championship round at all. They've been rubbish no, this whole exactly. season. Exactly. And even, even right now, under Rick DeMille, their interim manager, they're all right. They're not that good at all, honestly. And... But but because of this points halving thing, there's only gonna be what I think eight four or so points, points. I think. Um, oh wait, hold on. Seventy-five divided by two. Yeah, there'll be there'll be four up, points right? off Genk. Yeah, because that'll be thirty-eight points versus now, um, like thirty points. I think so. It'll yeah, be eight it's points. eight. Yeah, eight. But, you're right. You're right. So yeah, so eight points off the lead, and of course they play everyone home and away. Eight point yeah. six games. I mean, really the, they they tend to do well in have... these big games yep. because this season, the, what they've struggled with, like the reason they were in this position is because they've been, you know, dropping too many points in games you'd expect them to win. Like I look at the recent results: draw with Westerlo, lost to Kordrike, lost to Stender, lost to Circle, but uh, draw with Circle. Sorry, but you look at the big games: they beat Ghent, um, they beat Standard. Obviously, last night they delivered against Open. So in the big games, they still tend to do well. And I mean, as you say, they did it last season. Last season, Union were top, had a sizable lead. It was halved, and then Club came. Yeah. And, and I mean, got... just just one last word on on these teams. That team I haven't mentioned yet properly. Royal Antwerp. Just, I mm. might have mentioned on the podcast before. I used to actually work with a couple of coaches from there, and um, due to a place I worked at, and. We this was in 2020, and the narrative back then was Antwerp going to be the next big thing in Belgian football. They've put a lot of investment in. They're going to be hiring really good staff, putting money into the academy. And at the time, I sort of half believed it. I was quite interested, but you never you never know these things. 
it's really good to see this actually paid off and they're they're right up there and could win this title. Yeah, and playing some very good football too. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. We we should mention them as well. They're gonna be right in amongst. I think just a couple of points off the top too. So yeah, it should be an exciting title race. Uh, and and as you say, I think we'll take anyone other than Club uh, winning it. That would be. Cool. I I bet that Club are gonna win it, and then because we change the format next season, <sighs> so we're gonna end up because we only have sixteen teams, and then we're gonna yeah. have uh, How six many? of them, and the, so there'll be sixteen total teams in the league, and right. you're gonna One, have six. Yeah, yeah, you have one six in the league, um, and so I'm pretty sure Newcastle are going to be in there, there thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And um, do you know what? It's not as fun. You're not a fu- as fun. Exactly. Rafael yeah. was a lot more annoyed. Yeah, uh, United. Yeah, United fans. Yeah, they're not used. To, they're not used <laughs> to losing. They had like they had like a decade and a half where they won everything with you know Saf. So we'd get, we'd get more reaction out of Ben if we took the Mick out of this team winning six one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we're so, talking. Yeah. We're talking from the lane. So we um. This is what we're used to. Stay, we, we stay in our lane, and it is uh the drama lane. <laughs> but but yeah, we, six teams are going to be in the so it's going to be six six and in, in in four I think or what? Yeah, so six teams in the playoffs won, right. and so like I'm I'm not sure. I can't remember if they're going to have the points again. But I like not. if I hope they better not. That's just such because it, it like because then they have to round up too. So you have them and round up. And yeah, so it's exactly. Just like, so, so eight points like overcome. Like Antwerp have been sort of unlucky with this because they're on even points. Uh, so yep. they if, don't if get they an were, extra point basically. Yeah, so, so then it it might have been a one point yep. gap, but it's a two point. So Club Bruges are literally getting an, an extra draw. It's like if they turned yeah. one of their losses. So they right now their record is uh, 16, 11, and seven. If it was 16, 12, and seven, they would have the exact same points. So that's one loss, just turning it into a draw. So it is kind of funny, but it would be hilarious if they do manage to win it because then last season they they came out over Cinderella story, Union San Jolas, and now yeah. they are gonna be horrible and potentially sneak Again, in and then yeah. and then win it. I I would be like, thank God we're changing up the format because it'd, it'd be more impressive if you're like, oh wow, someone in sixth place won the title. Like, I mean, kudos, you must have really, you know, that's like that American playoff system. It's like, oh, they're so bad, they're in a wild card, but oh, they just won eight games in a row. Like, you respect that, but for Club Bruges, you know, because they do it all the time and they're helped sometimes with the format we'll have to look we'll have to update on if those points are going to be halved um next season starting next season yeah yeah let's let's um quickly check that in the, in the meantime let's go on to another place where we had the end of the regular season that's scotland uh, simple stuff here uh, 12 teams in the league six go to the championship group six to the relegation group so obviously the objective is to finish in the top six at this point uh, and of course, Celtic Rangers, as well as Aberdeen and Hearts, had the job basically done. Now, six, fifth and sixth were uh, up for grabs. Uh, in the mix, we had Hibs, uh, Sir Mirren, Livingston. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's it, those three teams. Um, so, three teams and two spots to play for, and all of them dropped points. Uh, it was Hibs and Sir Mirren uh, occupying those spots going into the weekend. And they went through because Livingston ended up losing 2-0 to Dundee United. So, um, n- not as much drama in Scotland as in Belgium. Uh, and of course, we will not not quite close a title race either. Celtic 13 points clear uh, at the top. So, that is what went on down there. Let's quickly talk about 
uh, England while we're there. Um, we'll of course we had on Friday an incredible match match between uh, Arsenal and Southampton, which ended three three ultimately, uh, which was a terrible result for both because um, Manchester City sort of now have the advantage in the title race, and Southampton are just slightly dropping back from that chaotic relegation battle. Um, so it, it was no good for either to not win. So the FA Cup, uh, where we've got Manchester City and Manchester United going through in the semi-final, City beating Sheffield United and United beating uh, Brighton Hove Albion on penalties. Uh, and also I'd quickly like to mention Wales, where uh, the Premier League ended, uh, but the, the season ended, the championship and relegation groups as well. The New Saints are once again the champions. Uh, and down at the bottom, a team we've spoken about a fair bit this year, Airbus UK Broughton, who you'll remember for having negative points because they fielded an ineligible player on the first match day. Well, uh, I'm pleased to report they've ended the season on negative points. Their final points tally is minus one. Uh, they, they couldn't quite pull back those three points they were deducted. Only two draws is what they managed. And they also shipped uh, precisely 100 goals over the course of the year. So, I mean, well done to them, I guess. Uh, but, but let's stay in Wales. We have also got a story from the fifth tier of English football. Of course, that's Wrexham. Uh, and their season has finally come to an end. What went on, Alex? Yes, Wrexham have been promoted to the Football League um, from the National League. It's a really incredible story. I think a lot of people have been uh, keeping an eye on it. They finished above Notts County after quite a dramatic win just over a week ago. Um, it's a really punishing league. I mean, like I said, we, as Ben rightly pointed out, I'm a Euro PhD expert. Uh, I'm not really interested necessarily in the National League, but I have kept an eye on the story because only one team in that division can get automatic promotion. Um, and it, 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 you put it down on the pod plan. I, I don't know if you wanted to say more on it. We might have been thinking about saying the same similar thing. But in the UK, I think a lot of football owners get stick. It's hard to think of any that get uh, are just universally liked. But Wrexham owners really are like Reynolds and Rob Kelney. I think. Uh, I think the say say his name. Like they're so classy online. They. For the last couple of weeks, they've just been saying Notts County, like a brilliant team. They they just started promoting today Notts County season tickets, saying these are really cheap. You should get in. So Wrexham have been great, but I really think we should praise the owners because they've handled themselves so well and handled the team so well. And it's just nice to see a genuinely really nice story in European in English football. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I think we spoke about this when after the Wrexham Notts County match we spoke I think uh, we, I was with Rafael at the time and we had a fairly long discussion um, and we did speak about the honest as well because at the time there was a fair bit of uh, sort of discourse online about whether you know they were they were sort of it was a good story or whether it was like yeah but it's the fifth year and they're spending millions so you know it's they've sort of bought their way to the title and that sort of stuff and and I, as you say you know you have to give credit to these owners because they're 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 not just throwing money at it to just simply win. They understand what it's about, and as you say, many owners, especially at the top, there's obviously all sorts of stuff going on, and so you know many owners' intentions aren't really that focused on either football or the stuff around football directly related, like the you know the community, the town, whatever, whatever. But these guys, they they do seem to get it. So as you say, great to see. A properly positive story 
without any caveats and that sort of stuff um, over there. So, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the big thing is that they're like you can buy your way into the league, maybe like into the EFL, maybe because they are spending so much more than like I think every other team. I, I forget what it was, but like a lot of people are saying how much more they're spending than other teams. And that's fine. But they're not just buying their way into something. They're buying their way while also getting everyone to buy into the project without like it seeming bad because the owners are people they're actually doing a good job and like i mean the documentary i don't know if you guys have seen it i'm working my way through it i'm like okay like they're legitimately not just doing this for like the to increase the investment of the club because you could do all that to just increase the investment or increase the value on your investment and then sell it in six years once they're in the championship maybe but it it, it actually looks like they're spending a lot of money to increase the value, but they want to keep that as unrealized gains because they like owning the club. They like having all the fans bought in and it's much more of that. Well, we have to spend money to get where we want to go. That doesn't mean that we're going to spend money because where we want to go is to sell the club. We just happen to have to spend money to get to, you know, league one to the championship to the premier league because we can't do it without that. And we have to invest in the club to actually get where we want to go as personal people we want our club to be in the premier league i think that's kind of the vibe i get i guess and it's what it was saying as well as a final point on this like uh, like that is the point against them oh they're, they're buying their way into this but like what do you want them to do like they when's the last time we said about a team who said oh yeah they they got taken over by this rich owner and they just you know they, they kept the money away and they played it fair and they got, yeah, the, they, got their way into the they got they got their way up really hard, hard without without having you to wouldn't spend be able penny. to get your way up yeah, yeah you wouldn't be able to if you're just bought if if we were if if Tottenham gets bought by elon musk and nothing changes people would be like why aren't you spending your money on the club but if tom gets bought by elon musk and the only thing that changes is that he in, injects billions of dollars per transfer window people are going to be like why aren't you caring about the club they've hit that middle ground where they're injecting money like and it's not billions it's relatively a ton of money for that league but they've also injected like themselves and their personalities so that people like legitimately like oh okay i mean it's attracted all of america to become fans that people now are like why are you a fan of rexham why don't you support your local team without knowing that a lot of cities here don't have local teams <laughs> but yeah and it's like with this as well give my point a little bit but it's with the with the thing as well about spending the money, it's like, like you, you hate the player, hate the game, and I think that's what I was gonna say. People confuse rich owners with rich owners who got their money doing bad things. Like, you, you yeah, know, that's a good point. The the owners of Wrexham, Ryan Reynolds, and he they aren't spending money. They're them spending money in the football league to whatever you say buy their way into you know league two is nothing like manchester city's owners buying their way to the premier league like these they're two very different things and two like two very different sources of cash yep yep fair point that, that, that that's a very important thing to note and and yeah completely agree with you guys it's a, a, a great story and I, I think something that should be commended certainly but let's go, let's go on now. We do have lots of other stuff to discuss as well. So let's go to Germany next, where we had some some great, big developments uh, in, in the top two tiers, uh, really. If first I saw the Zweite Bundesliga, we had a huge uh, Hamburg start derby between, of course, Hamburger, uh, HSV, and St. Pauli. And what a game it was too. Uh, it ended 4-3 to uh, HSV. Um, 
the it, it was really really a, a, a frantic game honestly no other word to describe it um end to end we had of course uh san Pauli taking the lead in the first half hamburg equalizing just before half time scoring twice early on in the second half seemingly comfortable uh, but then san Pauli fought back they, they pulled one back in the 71st minute conceded again in the 78th and scored almost from kickoff uh, so it was 4-3 then uh, and the tries they did for an equalizer they couldn't find one and that probably ends the promotion race in the Zweite Bundesliga because uh, San Pauli are level on points with Paderborn and Fortuna Düsseldorf are nine points behind third place Hamburg now and what do we have about I think five matches left so it would take even by Hamburg standards um quite quite a capitulation for them to miss out on at least the playoff spot but yes something to watch out for certainly is who finishes in the top two because Hamburg are only one point behind Heidenheim and of course that's automatic promotion and Hamburg especially having been burnt uh, last season will want to get that so that's that from Zweite Bundesliga from the top flight we have unbelievable scenes because Borussia Dortmund are actually on top of the league. And mind you, I must say, very reluctantly so too, because of course we spoke last Monday about their, well, I I, I still don't have words for it, but their brilliant work uh, at Stuttgart, where they absolutely threw away an unbelievable chance to go level on points with Bayern. But Bayern very kindly, I do appreciate uh, this of them, uh, decided to drop points again. Uh, last time they did to Hoffenheim. This time they decided to lose to Mainz, uh, which I think, as Ben has pointed out, keeps happening in April. So they they, they might want to work this one with the schedulers uh, going forward. But they lost 3-1 here after scoring in the first half, uh, considering thrice in the second half to lose. Uh, and then later that night, Dortmund were at Frankfurt. And I assure you, I had no hopes whatsoever, knowing that this was Borussia Dortmund. But they won four nil. It was it was a good. It was a really good performance. Really strong performance. Uh, all these goals in the first half. I think they were three up within like twenty five minutes. So it it, it was uh, quite a convincing win. And yeah, they're they're top of the league now. We have again five match days left. Uh, Dortmund. Well, they they do have a couple of tough fixtures. They've got Wolfsburg. They've got Gladbach. And on the last day, they've got mines. So, I still, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still not getting my hopes up. But who knows? Especially with how Bayern are doing, winless in four games. Who knows? But we, we'll see. We, we'll keep an eye out for that. Let's move on quickly. Let's talk about the relegation battle as well uh, in the Bundesliga. We spoke uh, on Friday about Hertha Berlin sacking. Uh, Sandro Schwartz and bringing in uh, Paul Dardai uh, for the, for his third spell, I believe. Uh, and it's not got off to a good start. I think Alex was keeping an eye on them. So how did this go, Alex, for Hertha and Paul Dardai? Yeah, I want to say at the outset, I'm, I guess I'm a little biased here because, so as you said, it was Dardai's returning debut as coach after Hertha sacked Sandro Schwartz. And Schwarz is always a coach I've quite rated. I paid a lot of attention to him at Dinamo Moscow, where he had a really nice team, was developing some young players. And when they sacked him, I was kind of like, they were on a bad run. I don't know if we spoke about it on last week's pod, but they just lost 5-2 to Schalke. 
Very bad result. Lost one nil to Leipzig a week before. One one to Freiburg. Pretty good to be fair. Um, but then three one at Hoffenheim. They'd lost quite a lot of games this season, right? They'd only won five matches. But I feel like this game against Werder Bremen really showed that the truth might just be that Hertha Berlin are a crap team. <laughs> just no other word for it. They were torn apart in the first half. It was um, uh, Dirksch, the uh, the the German striker for Werder, that. Easily scoring two, easily scoring his first two goals. The third was despicable. That that was for his hat trick, right? Uh, Christensen, the goalkeeper for Hertha, who's generally been quite good so far this season. When I've watched him, I haven't got sat in front of me to double check that. But from watching him, I've always felt like he's been fine. I guess it's okay. It, you're gonna feel fine in a bad team, but he, he got tackled inside his own box, uh, letting the ball go in, and Hertha, you know, got two later goals, but they're already four 0 down. See, they're bottom of the Bundesliga now. And I think, hopefully, they begin to realise, after years of below mediocrity, that to go up, they probably have to go down. And I feel like, maybe this is a strong opinion, they could have been better at keeping off Schwarz, getting relegated, and continuing to build with him, rather than chopping and changing, chopping and changing, chopping and changing like they do every single year. It'd be good for if they get out of the Bundesliga. Uh, yeah, uh, fair enough. I mean, I think I think I said a long time ago that they did need to go down. I think it was, was like in January mm-hmm. when we started this pot up. I was like, Hertha just need to get relegated. Kind of like Schalke were kind of able to like not like have a reset, but it, like it. I think it did help them. I think it yeah. helped also the morale too because you go and you get to get promoted, so you get that elation. Um, and ju- it's just like they yeah they just they just need to go down. At the end yeah. of the day, they need to go down. They need to chop a bunch of dead weight. If there's any clauses that you can release or sell players for cheap, if when you go down, then they'll activate and hopefully sign Simon Tarota and have him because he's too good for, for Zaita. He's not good enough for, for Erste. Okay. So maybe they can use him. They can yeah, they've got him. good points and they've got, got good parts in this team. Like Christensen, the goalkeeper, Oliver Christensen. He's, yeah, he's, he's been a fine player. Yeah, yeah he's, he's fine. He's Pretty fine. There's, there's, de- there's decent players in the team, like uh, a yeah, striker. I f- forgot the name, sadly. Uh, Bacchio. I look at he's at is he on loan? I think he's on loan. Or he might have just left recently. These people, I thought he was still there. He might have, but he's been there. I, a no, while. I think they loaned him to Wolfsburg earlier in the season. I was very puzzled to see that, but I think they no, did. I watched I, him play I, earlier in the yeah. season. No, he's I, back at uh, he's back at uh, Hertha, I think it was last season. Oh, right? it was last he's season, back at Hertha. Right. yeah, but he, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. on loan. At both last, last season. season, yeah, yeah, and in this season, yeah, he's uh, he's Fair I think enough, his contract yeah. is owned by by Hertha, so yeah, uh, you've earned that was your dissertation, you know, earned your PhD, Mr. Your expert, yeah, don't don't question me, I've literally won like a back year this year, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple other players in the team that are just, they're, they're fine, like they could rebuild with this and just cut the fat. Why have they got Kevin Prince Boatang in this team? Vibes, <laughs> exactly, vibes, <laughs> nah, do you know the best thing? I got Schalke. Because I was watching this match, they went, I think, two or three nil down early on, and then uh, Schwartz made a sub, so they were playing three five two, um, and he made an early sub in like the twenty fifth minute or something, and then they had Boateng playing as the six, and I was like, oh god, <laughs> like what's going on here? Uh, but oh, yeah, man. yeah, but honestly, I think final point to make on this is this is a good time for them to get relegated too, because of course they were in the relegation battles in the last two seasons as well. Yeah. And at that time, the Zweite Bundesliga, man, there were some good teams, you know, the likes of Schalke, Werder Bremen, Hamburg still there, but, you know, hopefully they'll get up. 
um uh stuttgart so there's some strong that's that. a, that's a really good point is that like the, the quality that now granted that could also backfire because yeah. if they go down and they finish mid table next next yeah, season and the season after it. that then there's questions of like okay well now we're gonna just kind of suffer also i just looked it up uh luca bacchio scored uh against fair bremen so uh no way yeah. to pay attention <laughs> to the 50 billion games that you watch every day. <laughs> go. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think yeah, you're you're right about that. You know, if if they don't bounce back up, it's a problem. But if they and of course that ambition will be to bounce back up immediately. And for that, I think this is about as good a time to go down um as you get. But yeah, they look gone, don't they? Even though they're only like three five points from safety. I don't like their chances. But yeah, that's that's that for Germany. Oh, well, that's not that for Germany. Let's quickly talk about the Frauen Bundesliga while we're at it as well, because we had a significant result with uh, Turbine Potsdam. Of course, uh, previously they've won the league two-time Women's Champions League winners as well, but having a terrible season this time out, winless until March end, I think. Um, and maybe they put together, I think, two straight wins there and a draw in that uh, run of results. So maybe there was some hope that they could somehow pull off a great escape. But I think their loss to uh, Essen this weekend, who are also there and thereabouts in the delegation battle, so rather seals that they've got uh, four matches left. But all of them are against sides in, I think, the top five. They're playing everyone bar Wolfsburg in the top five. Uh, and they're six points from safety. I can't see them even getting appointed in any of these games. And yeah, that's, that's probably the end of their run in the Bundesliga. And as I said, this would be quite something because, you know, two-time Champions League winners going down um, is is a pretty shocking result. But uh, of course, there's, there's reasons for that. There's been some really poor management and stuff uh, behind over there. So that's that's probably that for their season uh, in uh, the front Bundesliga. Let's also talk about a couple of other relegation battles. Over in the Eredivisie, we've had to speak of uh, Groningen a couple of times because their fans have interrupted their matches at home. Uh, on those previous occasions, they've only been temporary interruptions. The games were able to restart, maybe after the players uh, walking down the tunnel or whatever. But this time, uh, against NAC, the game had to be completely suspended. I think they played um, less than half an hour, honestly. Um, and, and yeah. It, it, the game was called off basically I think it's going to resume tomorrow afternoon uh, but yeah their, their fans are not taking uh, their seemingly inevitable fate now of relegation because they're 11 points uh, adrift with only uh, well, including this one only 5 matches left so not looking good at all for them they are probably gone something to watch out for though is uh, MN and Excelsior 15th and 16th level on points and that's, of course, 16th is the playoff spot. So those two should be quite close. And that's something to keep an eye on. Um, we also have in Spain uh, so some inter- big developments. Uh, we had Real Valladolid get yet another win. Their new manager bounce has worked brilliantly. And they've shot up to fifth, uh, to, sorry, to 14th uh, after, I think, being is 11 points with the relegation zone a couple of weeks ago. And... An equally big result was Valencia beating bottom club Elche to uh, go level on points with 17th placed Almeria. So, uh, of course, a super close relegation battle uh, going on there. 
Uh, and and yeah, I mean, from 15th place Cardiff to 18th place Espanyol, it's just four points still. So a lot to play for over there. And a pretty close relegation battle uh, in Liga as well. I think, of course, uh, as we've said before, this is because the league is uh, trimming itself to 18 teams. So there's four direct relegation spots this season. And yeah, I think as you mentioned last week, three teams are basically gone already. Angers certainly, Ajaccio and Trois as well. But the final spot, there's a lot to play for, and there was it's it's well. There's three teams level on points now, so let let let's catch up to what happened there this weekend. I think Alex has been keeping an eye on that too. So, well, Alex, what's going on in Liga? Yeah. Yes, there is a tight relegation battle going on in League Earn. I was just trying to stall a time to take aim at a, well, happily take aim at a presenter on the the Leverger League Earn podcast. And it was Angus Tarod, who I just want to mention, shout out to him. He gets it every week. At the beginning of the year, you guys won't know him. Leverger is a very popular League Earn podcast. It's the official one. At the beginning of the year, he predicted Strasbourg to finish third. And um, as we're about to find out, they are currently uh, <laughs> level with 17th place Brest, who obviously would be going down. Um, they did do okay at the weekend, though. They beat Will Steele's Rem uh, 2-0. Uh, they're tied down there, like I said, with Brest, who drew 0-0 with Ajaccio. Uh, Nantes are right down there as well, 2-2 on the same points. They drew 2-2 with Trois um, at the weekend. And Auxerre uh, also somehow just above after drawing 1-1, with Lil. Now that's a game I didn't get to watch. I saw Jonathan David score a penalty though. And yeah, it's a very, very tight relegation battle. Coming from someone who looks at these teams preseason, especially Auxerre, I'm shocked they're still they're not rock bottom where Angel are. Um Angel for anyone wondering, they're on 14 points, they're all but relegated. Um <laughs> looking at it now, that they are 18 points away from safety. Ridiculous uh, yeah. amount there. Um, yeah, Nantes have been kind of distracted by the Europa League, um, but Strasbourg, the, the real one that they should not be anywhere near it. Angus Terrell was a bit off saying they should be going third, but so I think they sacked Stefan Julian um, to kind of get out of the relegation zone. But it's it's been an abysmal season for a team who finished in the top ten last year. Seventh, um, I believe, just missed the Yeah, yeah, it was. They've been up for trend for a while now, so yeah. still very tight. It looks like Trois down, Jassio down, still 10 points off safety, so it's between Brest, Nantes, Strasbourg, Oxair for that final spot. Yep, very close indeed. So that's that in Ligue 1. Let's go on to um, Switzerland, where absolutely dominant young boys are on the verge of winning the title. They put six past then second place, Servette. Um and they are 19 points clear of second place Luzerne with about seven games to go. So I think they could win it next weekend, couldn't they? So but that would be absolutely deserved. They've, as I said, dominated the league. But behind them, woof, well, we have quite the battle for uh, for Europe going on. Of course, second to fourth as well, getting you in the qualifiers. Right now in second are Luzerne, uh, who who... If if they do manage to stay there, it would be quite a quite a story. No one would expect them really to finish second. They uh, only survived last season by winning the relegation uh, promotion relegation playoff match. So it'd be quite something if they get to Europe. 
but, but they're on 42 points. And if you go down, if you go six points down to seventh place, Basel, of course, Europa Conference League semi-finalists, it's, 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 it's one, two, three, four, five, and six teams within six points. And three European spots up for grabs. And the funny thing is, Basel are only three points ahead of defending champions FZ Zurich, who've spent most of this season in the relegation battle, and Zurich themselves only four points ahead of bottom club Winterthur. So it's so tight uh, be- behind young boys, basically, in the Super League. In fact, young boys are 19 points above Luzern, and then you go from Luzern to bottom, bottom club Winterthur, it's only 13 points. So I think that A, shows you young boys' dominance and B, how close it's been and how close it's going to be uh, to the end of the season. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, We also had a big, big game in the Netherlands. We had PSV against Ajax, both level on points going into the match, but not really competing for the title. Feyenoord have it in the back, I say. They were both eight points behind them. And final did play later, but as as expected, they won. They beat Utrecht uh, 3-1. But PSV and Ajax uh, played uh, for really the the second Champions League spot more than anything. And it was was a huge result for PSV. They won 3-0. Really, really strong defensive performance more than anything else, I thought, from them. Because they only had about a third of possession. But they did, of course, score those important goals. Luke De Jong scoring in the first half. Xavi Simons scoring a penalty in the second half, which I think he did win himself. And then the match was interrupted because fans were throwing beers on the pitch. Uh, and I think he hit one of the Ajax players. And it's quite a, becoming a bit of a team, really, matches being interrupted in the Netherlands. But then this one was resumed. Uh, and Luke de Jong scored again to basically seal the result for PSV. So a huge win for them. And with four rounds of fixtures left, as long as they don't lose again, uh, and well, I mean, as long as they basically match Ajax's results, it'll be them in second and Ajax missing out on the Champions League altogether. So that would be quite something. Uh, again, another story to watch out for. Let's also quickly discuss what's going on in Portugal. Because Benfica, who seemed to have the title in the bag, had a double-digit league, uh, league lead uh, earlier on. But after their loss to Porto a couple of weeks ago, they've been on a terrible run. Uh, they were winless in four games, which included their Champions League elimination against Inter. Uh, and they finally ended that run at Estoril in just a 1-0 win. But a 1-0 win that keeps them four points clear at the top uh, with, I think, five rounds of fixtures left. Um, and they do have a couple of tough games. They've got Braga and Sporting before the end of the season. So it's not yet done there. Porto might still just about seal if Benfica continues slipping up. So keep an eye out on that. We certainly have a title race uh, in uh, in Czechia, in, in, in the Fortuna Liga, because the top two are level uh, on points. They, w- they weren't going into the weekend, but Sparta, Sparta Prague, of course, drew with uh, Slovatsko and Slavia beat... Uh, Slavia won uh, 3-0 against Bohemians. So... They, Slavia, now top on goal difference. They're both level on 62 points. And they're really the main uh, protagonists of this title race, which will really intensify once we go into the championship group after the last two rounds of the regular season. Uh, over in Romania, we could have a great story as well. Arul Constanza, who we've spoken about before, the club owned and indeed managed by 
Gheorghe Hagi, once their academy graduate, now definitely the greatest player in Romania's history, had a huge game against, I think, last five-season champions, Cefere Cluj, uh, who were just a point behind them in the championship group going into the weekend. And Farul scored a massive 1-0 victory to make that gap four points. And better yet for them, uh, on the following day, third place, Fece Sebe, who were only one point behind Cluj, also lost their match against uh, Rapid Bucharesti. So, two two big results for them. They're now four points clear at the top of the league. Five matches to go. Of course, they'll be playing Cluj and Fece Sebe, their two main rivals, once again before the end of the season. Uh, but, yeah, they could do it and that'll be, that'll be an unbelievable story. Uh, th- mind you, Farul, a club who went bankrupt as recently as 2016 and then rescued really by Haji. It's, it's a great story. Uh, and yeah, if, if they do pull it off, as I say, it would be quite something. Uh, we well, let's let's take the theme of title races in Europe. Uh, over in Slovakia, we've got uh, Dark Dunajska Streda, one point ahead of Slovan Bratislava, and, and Dark chasing their first ever uh, top flight league title. So that that's again something to keep an eye out on. Four rounds of fixtures left here, including. Uh, a match between the top two, which will basically be a shootout for the title, really. So, a, a huge, huge development there. Uh, then, let's go to, well, a place where we don't have much of a title race. Uh, Austria. I think we spoke on Friday about the match between Sturm Graz and Salzburg. Sturm only a point, uh, a couple of points behind Salzburg going into the weekend. But uh, that's now five points because Salzburg won 2-0 away from home. And there... Uh, Long, long domination of the Austrian Bundesliga does not look like it's going to be ending this year either. So disappointing result there a bit. But we do have a great title race in Greece because we had IK and Panathinaikos continuing to go step for step really at the top. They're still level on points. Both of them had pretty tough fixtures this weekend. Panathinaikos needing a stoppage time penalty to beat Pauk and IK winning against defending champions Olympiakos 3-1. That, I, in my opinion, makes it a two-horse title race, really. We've got five rounds of fixtures left. Panathinaikos IAK on 72 points. Olympiakos nine points behind them. So, it's, it's probably down to Panathinaikos and IAK. Certainly, Olympiakos' uh, s- uh, streak in the Greek Super League will come to an end this season. Let's also talk quickly about a relegation battle, finally. We had... SNK Gorica in uh, Croatia, who we've spoken about before, had a terrible start to the season. I think just one win uh, until March, when even if you doubled their points, they'd still be last. But now they're out of the relegation zone. They've been on an incredible run. They've put three straight victories together now. And I think they've only lost one of their last eight games, which includes five wins. And they're ninth. They're up, they've jumped above Shibnik this weekend after uh, beating uh, Rijeka 1-0. And, and yeah, it looks like they'll survive after all, after all that. There'll be Shibenik, cup finalists, who may well get relegated and win a trophy at the same time. So that's something to watch out for. Uh, we, we, we also have the, well, in fact, as we speak, we have the Saudi Cup semi-finals going on. Ben spoke about them on Friday. We had Al-Hilal be- beat Al-Etihad in extra time uh, last night on Sunday. And as, as we record this, we have Al-Nassar against Al-Veda going on. So we'll find out who the second finalists are. And speaking of games going on right now, 
Just a quick mention for the Youth League final. We'll check back in. It was AZ who beat uh, Hyduk 5-0 in the end. A rather a late onslaught of goals from them. But a huge result, of course, as I say. They were the first Dutch finalists and therefore the first uh, Dutch UEFA Youth League winners. And of course, that's their first title. But I mean, you have to give credit to Hyduk who have been brilliant throughout the tournament. And we do have to mention their fans as well who've been absolutely amazing. They've basically supported the, 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 these under-19s like a first team. They've travelled to all, all all sorts of places for the away games in these knockouts. And in fact, the semi-final and final were scheduled to be held in the usual... I forget what the complex is called, but in Neon, close to the UEFA headquarters, they had to move them to Servet's home stadium because of how many fans were there. They simply couldn't hold them in that small sort of training ground and had had to, you know, uh, relocate these fixtures. So, uh, real credit to them, even though they've gone down 5-0 here, they should definitely be proud of the tournament they put together. And finally, let's talk about uh, the penultimate round of fixtures in Mexico, in Liga MX. Uh, Of course, uh, how this works is We've got the Apertura and Clausura. So this is divided in half and half. This is the Clausura for 2022-23. With one round of fixtures left, we have most of the teams who will be going through to the playoffs decided, of course. Monterrey, League Leaders, America, Chivas, Toluca in the top four right now, of which America and Chivas are pretty fixed there. Uh, Behind Toluca, Pachuca and Leon might still want to fight for that fourth spot. Behind them, Tigres, Cruz Azul. Uh, through as well and then Atlas, Querétaro, Santos, Laguna probably through too uh, but in 12th spot Pumas are only le- ahead of Atletico San Luis on I think head to head because their goal difference is the same the number of wins is the same or it might be goal scored one of those two things so that's quite close and then Puebla are only a point behind them so that's that's what to look out for on the final round of fixtures uh, in Liga MX's 22-23 uh, regular season. And last bit of thing, uh, news I want to mention is that Japanese legend uh, Kazuyoshi Miura made his uh, debut for second-tier Portuguese side Oliverense, uh, I think, last night. And he is only 56 years old. So, yeah, well done to him, I guess. Uh, I mean, the, the, what can I even say, man? That's, that's unbelievably impressive. I mean, 56-year-old running around in... He made his uh, debut in Brazil in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Just insane. Yeah. And we thought Joaquim was old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he looks like a... He still looks like a bright youngster coming up when you compare him to this guy. But yeah, I mean, what a career he's had too. He's been to all sorts of places. He went to Santos, Palmeiras in Brazil, as you say. Um, uh and then he he in in Europe he was at Genoa, Dinamo Zagreb among others, and he's he's finally gone to I think Vissel Kobe. He was at Yokohama FC. Then he was alone to Sydney, uh, and of course now he's at Oliveirense. So yeah, wow, fair enough. I mean, that's a great career and <laughs> still still going on. So well done to him. And but yeah, that's that for everything that's happened this weekend in terms of matches. The last bit we want to talk about is, of course, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, who I believe have become the first ma- first club, certainly in my time following football, to have sacked an interim manager. So Christian Stellini was supposed to take charge till the end of the season after Conte was sacked, but of course they just got thrashed six one by Newcastle United, and they said bye bye to him. 
and they've got Ryan Mason coming in. So we'll go to our resident Tottenham fan Ben Griffiths uh, to talk about this, what he thinks analytically, and also what he thinks as a fan. So the floor is yours, Ben. Uh, analytically, I think I, I, I think analytically it's kind of like okay, like you can get the decision, but at the same time, it's like what well, it was just one match, and he did do a, a decent job compared to what I think um, Conte kind of left him with, but also. As a fan, I think it's good because I like Stellini personally. I don't know if there's many people that like dislike him or whatever. He had really terrible result. And you could say it could be down to him switching to back four. I mean, you could look at some of the the, the watch the, the first 10 minutes. That's when I think four or five goals are scored. Um, and you can see why the back four pretty much is the reason why everything came apart. You could also then say the players weren't then doing their work. But at the same time, the players have been trained under Conte for a year and a half to play in a back five. Uh, Eric Dyer, however much I like him as a fan, I do have to say he's he's he does need to be in a back three. He can or back three, back five, whatever. He just cannot play in a back four. His positioning on some aspects can be pretty horrendous, uh, and that happened. We also had Pedro Porro is right back. He's not he's a right wing back, uh, if not a winger. And then we had Ivan Perisic as left back, who is a left wing back, if not a midfielder, if not a winger, if not a striker. So he's we had two players that aren't fullbacks playing as fullbacks that haven't played as fullbacks all like for us all season poro i didn't follow like i said a while i didn't follow as much about his time in, at sporting so i don't know if maybe he was but obviously it's one of the best teams in the league and so yeah I mean, it's just there too so yeah wing back yeah so, so we got yeah we have a professional volleyball player as our left wing back and we have Pedro poro as our right wing back so obviously it's not going to work out very well when you have just christian romero because dyer is I think he's a really good central center back in a back three. I think he's a really poor left center back period at in a back four. Um, Brian Mason though, he's back April 20, April 20th of 2021 was his, the day he first got appointed, I believe. So really? it's literally so exactly, almost, two, almost two exact years later. He's back. Um, which is just honestly hilarious to me. Um, I like him. At like as a as a person, he's great. As a Tottenham fan, he as a Tottenham fan, him and myself as a Tottenham fan, it's great. He's an academy kid. He he was eight years old or nine years old when he joined the academy. The only reason he left was that he wasn't good enough for the first team at that at that time. Um, and honestly, we know his his career why he's a coach now. He did a good job when he did take over. So he took over uh one two three four five seven total matches. One of them. His first match was 2-1 Southampton two years ago. His second match was he lost Manchester City 1-0 at Wembley in the final of the the whatever it was called then, Papa John's, the EFL something, some trophy. Um, that was an 82nd-minute goal by City. Literally, his second-ever game as manager was a Tottenham that was in relatively poor form, not not terrible form. The big reason we sacked Jose was because it would have been expensive to keep him had he won this trophy. Um, and... So it was actually pretty decent. Then he won the next game against Sheffield United. That was 4-0. Then he lost to Leeds 3-1. Uh, then he beat Wolves 2-0. And then he lost uh, to Villa 2-1. And then beat, on the last day of the season, Leicester 4-2. That's what put us ahead of Arsenal. I don't think we would have finished above Arsenal um, that season had Jose stayed. Because Jose, in his last six league games, got eight points. Mason got 12. Uh, and, and we finished, I think, two points above them or whatever. But... He did well. He, the thing as an analyst side now, 
when Ryan Mason came in, this is his first, he's like 29. It was his first ever like time ever being on a first team because he he was um, I think manager of our one of our youth teams then he was assistant manager ish or whatever with Jose he, he took over so his first couple games he comes in he pretty much took Jose's tactics and put the very slightest like tweaks on them to make them a little bit more poach like so it was still so Jose was playing a back four he was back five with Roma right now but he was playing a back four with us it was almost exact same positions like on paper pretty much the same players, but there was, I think a little bit more like Harry Winks and stuff, but overall the same tactics, probably like 85%. That 15%, I think is what made it better. It was a little bit more uh, attack minded, a little bit more, um, a little bit less classic Jose like, right. But it wasn't quite like super attacking and poach. It was pragmatic in the sense that pragmatic meaning smart. And then, so I'm curious what he's going to do because I, think him as a manager will want to be a back four and alex do you have something to add you finish your point in a sense but i just have a question for you yes okay so ben you're a very very good analyst and i think you outline a good argument for mason and like what he's doing however to play devil's advocate here from a neutral side your remaining games are manchester united liverpool crystal palace probably the easy game Aston Villa, who sit a couple points below you, Brentford, who are hell to play, and Leeds yep. on the final day, who could be playing for relegation. Yeah, we basically have the hardest schedule left. Yeah, you have. Yeah, you're two points ahead of Aston Villa in fifth, and only three points ahead of Liverpool, who are in seventh, and four points ahead of Brighton. Ryan Mason, I've seen a lot of Tottenham fans celebrate. Yes, is it possible he's a likable man, but he could actually cost you European football? So here's the thing. I knew you're gonna, I knew that this was probably going to come up. So basically, one thing we have to think about with analysis too, it's not pure data, and players are not pure data. Players have emotions, fans have emotions, clubs have emotions. The reason I'm thrilled for Ryan Mason is not because he's a class manager. He has not showed any, he has showed complete inconsistency. Win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. Those are his seven matches, straight up. The reason I'm so excited is that he is loved by the players. Harry Kane, one of his actual friends. Not like, oh, I have a good relationship with you. One of his legitimate friends in real life. Half of the squad played with him. Half the squad loves, knows him. Like, they're they're friends with him. They wanted him to take over. It's not just data. So even if he's a worse manager, which let's be completely real, he's way less uh, battle-hardened than Stellini, who has taken over first um, first teams in Italy in the past. It's just that players could very easily perform better under someone that's their friend who is say, who might even come to them. Like, I think he, he went to them last time he took over. Like, what should I do? Not like, tell me how to manage the team, but do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Like, should, what tweak should we make to have much more of a, a, a conversation? So that's kind of thing, nothing to do with data purely. I mean, we could call it vibes, but literally vibes. I mean, I, that's why I'm so excited. I know that's why a lot of, I think I've seen so much fanfare and excitement is because it's Ryan Mason and he, there's no question in anyone's mind that Ryan Mason is Tottenham through and through. That's right. That's actually quite a good rebuttal. And I think it is an understated point that like changing the emotions of the players, because it's clearly very toxic in there. My final question yeah. actually is how many games you have left? We have six. We you have six. Yeah. I win. If we win one, then. <laughs> see the, the the problem is like i just tweeted out earlier today so if 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 
something happens. United pull United, Spurs pull a Spurs, and we end up in fourth. Um, yeah. Ryan Mason should get the the full time job, honestly. But yeah, it's six matches. He had six. Oh, so hey, Rio, he had six league matches last time he took over. He took over basically the exact same like day, um, and he won twelve points. So if we get twelve which more is points, six times two. Yes, which is six <laughs> times two, which is that's six times. So the second time he's got six matches. Yeah. Yes, one times six equals Joe Linton. Yeah, I mean, in one in one plus one, that's how many goals Tottenham scored yesterday. One plus one is two quick maths. So, yeah, but basically, Ryan Mason, I think will. I, I don't know. I actually don't know what what to, what to say if he's going to play back four, or back five. I think he's going to do a back five. I think he's going to change the tactics a little bit. But if he plays a back four, that will make me know he's going to make actual changes to how we've played and try to instill his own philosophy which might also be because he's he's made some tweaks from jose and that maybe he's kind of in between that jose and poach he wants to be pretty much like a solid you know four two three one sort of thing and that's kind of what i'm thinking will happen but i am concerned if he does do a back four for the first two matches because we don't have the defenders to play ben davis is not a natural left center back he's a left center back in a back three so it's just kind of yeah Connor actually scored six yesterday if you count bad goalkeeping as own goals that would have been seven. That'd be seven, yeah. No, 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 no. Your, 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 your replacement keeper was fine. I'm talking about Larice. Yeah. <laughs> we, they subbed him. Huh? They subbed him. Yeah, we subbed him. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. For a hip, he, for a hip he injury, was injured. But apparently, uh. he's out until like through May, basically. So. <laughs> yeah, he's injured. He's injured. They call it the injury he got was called depression. <laughs> yeah, from being associated with Tottenham for eleven years. Oh, man. Well, that's that. That's that's this episode all wrapped up. Last thing I'll say is Alveda are one 0 up against Al Nasser as we speak. So maybe I'm oh, there, but we'll that's see. Crazy. Thank you for listening. We'll be back as ever on Friday on Patreon. But yeah, thanks to um, of course Alex and Ben for their time. Uh, and, and and yeah. Take care until we meet again. Goodbye.